We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. Mike is in transit to the last stop of a five-game road trip that the Lakers, uh, never a dull moment in Lakerland. Lakers pulled out a comeback win. They they got a, on a Groundhog Day, they flipped the script on the Indiana Pacers with a furious fourth quarter comeback after three quarters of pretty disengaged and disinterested basketball. And D, I, I want to zoom out to a multi-game point to start out. We've played five games since Anthony Davis returned. We're three and two with one of them being the loss against Boston and the other one being a game where LeBron and AD sat. And in those five games, I've only watched them and be like, this is the engaged version of the team once. And that was against Boston. Every other game, there's been long patches and long stretches where they've been just very sloppy. And one of the things that Indiana did last night, and this is something that we've seen on a number of occasions, is it's obvious to me that that just attack the Lakers every single time and you're going to get good opportunities, whether it's transition or just early offense. That's obviously very high up on the scouting report for other teams. And Indiana controlled the first three quarters of that game, mostly doing that. And then in the fourth quarter, Lakers turn up the ball pressure. Patrick Beverly was superb throughout the game. And they go on a defensive run, ending in a guy who's apparently not an all-star, making a guy who is an all-star look like a third grader trying to score on his dad on a defensive play, right? And so that is something we've seen many times over the years, D, is a Laker team that turns it on, that knows exactly how much they need to give on a particular night in the middle of January or in early February to win a game. But on a team that has the record that we do, it's been very startling. So D, I've seen a shift in the mentality of the team, and I think we're tired on some level, but it's great to see that we've got that fastball to be able to pull out a game that was a crucial road win. So I definitely think they're tired, right? Another, that was the fourth game of a five-game road trip. It was their... Was that the third game in four nights or was the next game? The next game was the third game in four nights. I, no, I it guess was, both it, could it, be. It is the third game. Yeah. I, like not for LeBron and AD, but we played Monday against the Nets and then had them sit out. Then the second night was Tuesday against the Knicks. Then Thursday night against Indy. So yes, that was the third game in four nights. 
Yeah, and the fourth game in six nights because they played in Boston on Saturday, right? Right. So it was like sat. So it was like Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and LeBron and AD didn't play in all of those games. They played in three of the four, and LeBron had a sore foot, and AD sort of returned to play plan, right? And so I don't want to minimize that stuff, but the team does look tired. They're on the road. I also think though that a a key part of this is exactly what you said. And I mentioned this to you uh, offline yesterday that there's a certain amount of like, oh, we got our dudes back. Mm-hmm. And now that our dudes are back, like we can spread out the burden sharing a mm-hmm. little bit more. And we often think about burden sharing within the context of like, oh, okay, well, LeBron doesn't need to get 40 anymore. He can get 25 because AD is going to get 25. And now with AD here, this other dude is going to get 15 easier than what he could get 15 before. And there's just a lot of ways to mm-hmm. fill in the gaps. And then the def- the level of defense that they can play with AD is so much higher that I think that there is a natural uh, relaxing mm-hmm. of how hard the team feels they need to play based off of their increase in talent. And I think that that's a natural – that's a – that's a human nature sort of Absolutely. thing. And if Mike was here, he would probably argue that point because I know that's one of Mike's favorite points. And it's a good one. One of the things that's very easy to overlook is that period without AD, those 20 games, that could have gotten very dark. And the reason that it didn't, the biggest reason is LeBron looked at the situation and also said, hey, this could get very dark if I don't if I don't put my foot on the gas. And it was 35 every single night. And he's been really the main guy that I've seen that like what you were just talking about. He's been the main guy. And I'm glad. Right. We've got to collect wins in the process of that, of course. But so far, we've done it by the skin of our teeth. Yeah. And to credit LeBron, there was an eight minute stretch there in the fourth quarter where he said, nope. Yep. He's incredible. I'm LeBron James. It was funny, man. Like, this dude, this dude said, I'm just going to go and I'm going to bury everyone in the paint. And I'm just going to mm-hmm. go and I'm just going to get offensive rebounds. I'm just going to be the biggest, most physical, forceful athlete on the court. And then there were a couple plays where AD said, no, I am. Actually, mm-hmm. that guy. Sorry, LeBron. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what the Lakers can do. And it got them into the bonus in the fourth quarter early. LeBron mentioned that. He also mentioned that they didn't pay off the bonus with oh, our free, free throws. throws. And, yeah. And Pat Bev, damn near gave me an aneurysm, missing those last two free throws, right? To put <laughs> yep. the Lakers in the position where they had to, for reals, get a stop in order to yeah. win the game. But this is a situation, man, where I feel like the Lakers are going to continue to feel out how much they need to give. Remember, too, this is the stretch of the season where right before the trade deadline and then going into the all-star break, Mm -hmm. this is one of those dog days stretches of the season. One of the toughest stretches, yes. Everyone's mentally fried. They've like they call this the all star game It's supposed to be at the midpoint of the season. These teams are going to play almost 60 games by the time that the all-star break comes. And it's like three quarters of the season is basically going to be over. And for a 25 game stretch of that, the Lakers needed to play almost as hard as they possibly could just to be competitive. Just to hang in. Mm -hmm. Just to be competitive. 
And so that's not to say they were playing with playoff level execution or focus because they weren't, but they were playing hard. Mm-hmm. Physically, they were playing hard and the level of exertion they were showing from a physical standpoint does tax on you mentally. Right. And, and so they look like a team that has gone through that now. And they are the team that has been driving in the fast lane for so long. And now they're just like, oh, wait, I, like, oh, let me get over to this right lane for a little while and I'm going to coast a little bit. That doesn't mean that when they get stuck behind a slow car, they're not going to get to the left a little bit and, and get in that passing lane again because they did that in the fourth quarter. And mm-hmm. that's a dangerous way to live, I think, as for mm-hmm. a team that is this far under 500 and is still competing for for a playoff spot. But but I get it. Like, that's not to say I like it, but I get it. Likewise. And so that's part of the reason why we were talking yesterday about that nine-man lineup and and rotation being a sweet spot. And I would agree really after the All-Star break, I think that's the time to do it. But because I think that there's a certain degree of fatigue and we've got our guys coming back, we might have Austin back. And I can't wait for that because I think that he adds a dimension uh, of skill at the guard spot that we don't otherwise have that's going to be super helpful. But Part of that to me right now, D, is we got to collect as many wins as possible until we get to that all-star break and that kind of natural resting point. And so I'm very curious to see what direction Darwin goes with that because it was a nine-man rotation again last night. And I do think that like I, I do think that's the way to go ultimately, but curious your your thoughts on that. Like one thing from watching those first three quarters, I don't want to l- lament this too much, but it's hard to watch when in getting DNPs when we're so energy deficient. And this isn't an argument against TB or anything like that or against anyone. It's more like this is a stretch of games where we're understandably tired. We're on a road trip. Like just guys who can bring what Wenyan brings right now, even if maybe you make a di- uh, you go a different direction long term, as much as I may disagree, like right now, I think that's super important. So I 100% agree. I also think Indy was a very tricky opponent mm, last agreed. night. And so I had been lobbying for like Rui to play more. And I actually, and I said this last night on Twitter that I got what Darwin did taking Rui the out sub? and going to Russ. Mm-hmm. I got it. Likewise. Like, I knew it wasn't going to be popular. I knew he was going to get second guessed for it. But Why do you I think he it. did it? He got it because Rui was guarding Nemhard. They were basically playing like a four guard lineup, right? And so Darwin did something which tactically Darwin can catch some flack, some particularly around like lineup construction stuff. But one thing that he did yesterday that I thought was critical in getting the team a win is Mm -hmm. he went small. He went small first. So Indy had sort of been the team that was wrecking the Lakers through their pace and their speed. And they had taken advantage of that game plan idea that you would mention at the top of the pod. So what Darwin did is, is he said, well, you know what? We're going to our LeBron at center looks, mm-hmm. right? And normally Wenyon might be a part of those groups, but now, or it would be like LeBron and Russ and Dennis and then Bev. And then it's just like, oh my God, it's like four guards and LeBron. But he had Rui out there with him, and then they had three other guards. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, okay, well, they're playing faster. This team is scrambling some. They played some zone. The zone got 
carved up a little bit. They looked like a team that hadn't played together very much, which is true. And mm-hmm. then eventually Darwin went back to AD. And once AD came in the game, they went right back to Miles Turner. Now, Miles Turner mm-hmm. had been in some foul trouble. He had picked up four, like four fouls, but that was the invite for the for the Pacers to start to play their brand of ball again. And it, so it was it was AD and it was LeBron and it was Rui. And Rui ended up guarding a guard. He was mm-hmm. on a guard. And he was getting caught up and picking rolls. He was getting mm-hmm. caught up trying to close out the shooters and then getting driven by on, on closeouts. And then Darvin went back to Russ. And when he went back to Russ, the Lakers were already in the bonus. The idea of how they were going to beat this team was playing smaller but more physical. Mm-hmm. Rui was bringing the physical part. He was getting he got a couple of offensive rebounds. He scored in the paint. And it was just like, oh, look at Rui using his force. And then on the other side, he was giving some of that back. Pete. And so mm-hmm. when Darvin went to Russ, I was just like, I get what he's doing here. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to play out. Russ could end up being taking 16 footers. He had missed a ton of shots already. He finished mm-hmm. the night two for 16. I already knew what the narratives were going to be around this, but I got what he was doing. He was mm-hmm. just like, we're getting a dude who can chase out there and who can run around and, and with speed, but can also play with force. And look, Russ wasn't perfect. I thought he was mostly neutral down the stretch. He had a couple of assists. He had a turnover where he just kicked the ball to the other oh, team, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, like he didn't show up in egregious ways on offense or on defense. He was just another dude who was fine. Had an important trap on the last play, right? Made a read and trapped a guy uh, in, in the corner and forced a tough shot. But yeah, no, agreed. But he didn't. I, I think defensively he was more helpful than he was on offense. And sorry, well, I don't, I don't want to cut off your point. Yeah. No, no, no. It was a defensive sub, please. Because Darvin said it after the game. Like yeah. he asked, like he got asked specifically, why do you close with this dude? And he talked defense. So that's something I view Russ and Rui in tandem at the three spot defensively. And so defensively like one of the ways i view the game is you've got the ground game and then the air the aerial game right and so russ is our on the ground defender at the three spot whereas Rui is our over the top type of defender and it makes sense relative to their uh physical tools but one of the things that's difficult for taller players like Rui, and that's one of the things i've noticed about him defensively is he has a high center of gravity ad is like this too but Rui has this high center of gravity where guys can win the ground game against him when he has to chase uh boston was targeting him in that game uh, with jalen brown and jalen brown got to the rim a couple of times because Rui can't win those ground battles. Whereas Russ, that's exactly what he does. He can get, you can shoot over the top of him at the three spot, but in terms of getting to the spot, beating a guy to the spot and holding your ground physically um, and, you know, providing that, just providing a certain degree of uh, of athleticism. That was one thing that Darvin cited in the post game at that spot. If you can win the ground game, which I think is super important in Darvin's defensive system, which is why he gravitates toward Dennis, toward Pat Bev. It's like all the stuff that happens five feet and and down to the ground is important in this style of defense. And Russ plays into that as a physical defender. And so there was a, a Chris Haynes said today, Russ, you know, the, the Lakers have engaged in trade talks around Russ again. And that's one of the things that 
if the Lakers do end up trading Russ, I think it's super important to get that back at the very least is somebody at that swing spot that can win those ground battles because I think that pairs really well with Rui. No, I think it does, does too. And like, I also think that we're trying to get to a perfect team and we're probably too far gone for that, right? Like we'd love to check every box. I just want to check as many boxes as we can check. Like that's that's the deal, you know, we do the best we can. No one will never be perfect. 100%. Is there, was there anything else about the indie game specifically that stood out to you? Like we've talked effort and we talked fourth quarter, LeBron and AD playing with force. and, And like, because one of the things that stood out to me was like the slotting of Bev back yeah. to a guard position. Yeah. And the implications of that towards players like Lonnie Walker and Troy Brown, because Lonnie and Brown basically played like seven in the 17 minute mm-hmm. range around there. Bev was up in the twenties. Um, Austin is potentially coming back. These are all dudes that can slot into that specific spot. And, and, and so what are your thoughts around that idea? And you mentioned Bev being great. And like, what did you see from him specifically? When we're good, we're applying ball pressure. It's really one of the first attributes that you can see. Either we're getting up into a guy that has the ball and we're playing, we're probably playing pretty well if we're doing that. And if we're not, we're probably not. And so Bev being able to down the stretch, he did a great job on Halliburton. And it was funny. Uh, did you hear the post game interview I with did. Bev in the locker room? I did. <laughs> Mike asked him about you know, just gave him a general question about his performance. And Bev was a plus 16. No other starter was a positive. He was really good throughout the night. And Bev gave this like thousand yard stare. And there was kind of this awkward pause before he answered. And he was like, yeah, Tyrese Halliburton had an interview a while back where he brought up my name. I'm like, oh, this guy. <laughs> right? But but for real, man, that was something that really stood out in that game. I thought he really bothered Halliburton's handle. And I think that ability to, to ball pressure is super important for our defense. It causes this, this chain reaction. And so I keep referencing back to the trade deadline because Russ and Bev, the, Bev, these are guys that we've discussed on this front. And one of my concerns is on the other side of it. If we do trade either of them, they both contribute something defensively that's actually important to what we do. It's not irreplaceable, right? But it's important that it's important to our defense in a way that if I had to make a choice, and I think that that's part of the like, we can't be perfect. We can't build a perfect team. If I have to build a choice between like, defensive players and offense, I'm probably going to gravitate toward the defensive end. Although I do think we're below the Mendoza line of jump shooting, right? So this is part of the dance and part of the the, the problem of this. But that was a, a thing that really stood out to me, man, is just Bev's ball pressure on a all-star caliber guard in Ty- Tyrese Halliburton. I think the best version of our defense is going to be one where we kind of break the offenses of the other team's and that's really going to be headed by our guards, whether it's Dennis, Bev, and also Russ in that third guard type of role. Yeah. So one last thing about Bev is so Halliburton did make the all-star team. Anthony Davis did not. And Halliburton kicked the Lakers ass last night. He's so good. Through three quarters. He was excellent. And he played to, he, he looked like a dude who we sometimes talk about guys who haven't played in a long time and like having rust. He 
was a guy who hadn't played in a long time and had all of that pent up like yep. energy and like I'm ready to go and I'm ready he to get He plays with a ton it. of joy. And Rick Harlow coached that game like I'm winning this game. Mm-hmm. Right? So he had all the little tricks for the game plan. He called all the timeouts to stop the runs. He did all the strategic substitutions. Rick Carlisle wanted that game. And mm-hmm. Halliburton was playing right into that. Like, we're going to win, win this. And Bev Bev got after him in that fourth quarter. He got that steal that was called a foul originally. And then the Lakers challenged. And it was a tricky time to use a challenge too, man. Like over three minutes mm-hmm. left. The game is, that's not when the game is being decided. But the Lakers mm-hmm. were in the middle of something at that point and that possession was like another way to get the ball back and ham used it and he won the challenge and they got the ball and it's it's possessions like that where it's just like you see bev's value and what he brings and so let's go to break here because on the other side of this i think we do need to continue to look big picture and every day in between now and next thursday man like the trade deadline is going to be on my mind and and so i want to talk a little bit more about that we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I said this in a, in a recent pod, Pete, but it's just like I I see these games where Russ plays well and I'm just like, ah, oh, look at that. And then I <laughs> see these games where Bev plays well. I'm just like, oh, pff, can't trade that guy. And mm-hmm. then there's another game where Bev is playing small forward and some guy is shooting over the top of him and he's one for seven from three. And I'm just like, get this dude off my TV screen. <laughs> right. Likewise. <laughs> Yes. So, so this is the up and down nature of a Lakers team that is getting closer to what we want them to be, but on some nights really are their own worst enemy in their inability to do the thing that you know they're capable of doing, but still do not do. And so where are you at big picture with, I'm going to kick you a couple of things and just pick out whichever one you want, right? Austin's return yeah. and how that can impact the team in a positive way and the implications of what that means to the rotation. The Lakers finding their defensive identity now that AD is back and how Rui plays into some of that. And 
the general standings watching with the team and knowing that they, they really are right there and on the precipice. Take any one of those those topics that are more big picture ideas and, yeah. and, and just talk to me about whichever way you want to go. You know, the last few weeks, we've been pining for kind of that shooting guard type that can defend and uh, but it's just kind of a generally good player. And I was laughing last night. I was like, oh, that's Austin Reeves. Uh, Austin Reeves fits that description quite well. Right. And so part of how I view this team's most likely path to being very good, it's actually kind of it's actually different than I did than I expected the path to be a few months ago. And what I think the best option is, is that that good versus some teams, bad versus others, the good some nights, bad others, is something that Darwin is going to have to wrangle in a way that is supplemented by the fact that he actually has several options. And this is sort of like what the 2020 team was like in terms of who was written in pen in the closing lineup, for example. Depended on the team, depended on the night. There was a few guys, and that's the way you kind of get around it, right? Is that like, okay, if Bev's having that kind of night, then that's the night that he plays 18 minutes. And he's having a night like he had last night. That's the night that he plays 28. And Darvin's the one who really needs to be able to read that and go in which direction, in, in whichever direction is necessary. That's hard. That's not something that's easy to do, especially for a first-year coach. But basically, I think – Having a tool for every job is going to be important on this roster, and it's part of why I want that professional jump shooter, even with Austin coming back. It, part of why I want that is that I think that there are going to be some nights where it's like, actually, we could use Austin and a second guy who can really knock him down if he's left open, who's still a credible defender, right? But when you've got Dennis and Russ in particular— even Bev falls into this category as well. Like Bev's not a natural shooter. He can knock down open shots, but just his skill level as a jump shooter is fairly low. And when you combine that with Russ and Dennis, you have a collective problem where there are going to be some nights where you just need two guards who can knock down a shot to alleviate some of the the spacing issues that we that might come up. There will be other nights where those two jump shooters, Austin and this fictitious guy I'm talking about, aren't strong enough defensively or they don't provide enough on that end. And that's that's a Russ game. You know, that's and, and I think Russ is more of a part of the closing concept of Darwin than we care to 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 bring up. Right. Like yesterday you were talking about the nine man rotation and you were going through the guys that you trust. And one name that was just lingering out there that you didn't say was Russell Westbrook. Right. But if he's on the team, he's absolutely going to be one of the guys. Right. He's absolutely one of those nine guys. Absolutely. And I purposefully did not bring up his name because my idea was you're trying to get to seven and a uh -huh. half. And so Russ is part of the nine. Is he one of the seven and a half? And, and that's a different conversation because that's a that's an NBA finals question. That's a conference sure. finals question. Right. And Russ is a tricky discussion when it comes to that, because um, I have a post coming out today around like the future of Russell Westbrook and how Rui Hachimura played into that. Um, mm -hmm. And it talks contract stuff and a bunch of other nuanced things around bringing him back and trading him and yada, yada, yada. But the idea of like him being a high level contributor and then saying it bluntly like a disaster 
in certain moments. It's just like, oh man, he can be so bad. That's the thing about him. It's like, if he didn't have these moments where it just, com- the bottom completely falls out, he'd be like, that's my biggest concern about him. And yes. that's something that is not new. It's not something that we should expect to go away. It's part of the Russell Westbrook experience. It is. And so accounting for that as a coach is hard. And so a lot of times what you end up having to do is just put your trust in the player because that's how the trust is what facilitates that top end. If you don't show the trust, you'll never get access to the top that's right. end. But access to the bottom end is always there, no matter how much trust <laughs> is yes. exhibited. No, that's just, it's we true. saw that last season. Mm-hmm. So Russ is a trickier conversation. And getting back to Austin, I am super hopeful that Austin can become the 22 to 28 minute player that he's destined to be on a really good team rather Mm -hmm. than the 28 to 35 minute player that every three weeks or so looks worn down and is being pushed further than what he's probably able to go. Right. And and in a very similar way, I would say the exact same thing about Alex Caruso. So yeah. Caruso was a player who played so hard that you felt like every like 10th game or so he's like got his wrist wrapped or, mm-hmm. you know, like he just looked banged up. And it's because yep. he like dove on the ground. It's just like, oh, is AC in concussion protocol because he ran through another screen trying to get over the top, there's a baseline level of effort and energy that certain players play with. And they should actually only be asked to do that for a certain amount of time each night Mm -hmm. because extending them beyond that, you're going to see diminishing returns. And Austin is one of those players to me. He's over the course of his NBA career, he is probably like either a fifth starter or a very good seventh man. So those mm-hmm. are two different ideas, right? Mm-hmm. But they serve sort of the same role within the context of a good basketball team. They are the connecting player. The sixth man is the classic, like, let me go get you some buckets. I can be a shot creator. I can mm-hmm. really be your sixth starter. So I am your sixth man, right? That's what Russ is for this team. Yes, But the fifth starter is normally a connecting player. He is the guy who doesn't need a lot of usage. He is a guy who can step up and make an open shot. He can defend capably. He is what Danny Green sort of was for the championship Lakers. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the seventh man, which is which is that same idea of of a dude. He is like Mm. he is that guy who replaces the fifth starter who stays on the court maybe a little bit longer so that he can mm-hmm. have wraparound minutes with that six man guy because the connecting, the idea of being a connector still matters when you bring in that six man. But when that mm-hmm. connector guy goes out, well, guess what? You need to replace him with another connector. Because if you bring, if you've got three six men, guess how yeah, that's going that to look? Work. It's going to look, it's going to look bad, right? When everyone starts to take turns. Can't have Jamal Crawford and Jordan Clarkson and Dion Waiters all on your team. <laughs> I would argue a good portion of the beginning of the season with Nunn and Lonnie. And I and I don't want to 
keep bringing up guys like that, that they're not helpful. It's just, like you said, when you have more than one of those guys on the court at any given time, which was often the case for this team, like you start losing uh, a level of defensive capability in particular that you don't get as much benefit on the offensive end. Cause one of those guys, like I, like I haven't loved the Russ and Lonnie minutes, even though they could theoretically be this lightning fast transition team. Cause a lot of times Lonnie's relegated to standing on the other side. And it's like, if Lonnie's going to be in the game, that's the way he can help you. Let's help, have Lonnie put the ball in the hoop. But that's kind of what Russ's job is, right? And so it speaks to your point about those those connecting players being a, a complement a, a complement to a sixth man uh, on ball player type. Yeah, and this is one of the areas where I think the Lakers have really missed Austin is they have not had that connecting player too often on the court mm. at all. Like I think the closest guy who does that on this team is Troy Brown. Maybe I, I'd say a, Bev. Bev is the guy I, I think that's that does that offensively. That's a good call. That's that's a good call. As and in his own way, like Wenyon, but on the defensive side and as a finisher for sure, right? and as a big right. It's just from different yeah. positions. That's part of the reason I like him. I actually very much agree. He's a connector. So the trade deadline then is now six days away, Mm -hmm. right? Today is, we're recording this on Friday. It's next Thursday, the 9th. That is the deadline. And are you, where's your head at around? Like, do you, do you want, like, forget yesterday we did a lot of the, like, well, if it's a good deal, right? (laughs) We're very pragmatic and I'm with that. It needs to, that, that's definitely a part of the discussion, but I'm turning that part of my brain off for a mm-hmm. second. Do you want the team to make a trade? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's where I am too. I, th- on some levels, I think I'd be disappointed if this version of the team, that this team right now is the same team that's here on February 10th. Yes. And there, to me, there are two versions of it, a very big one and a pretty small one. And not much in between. So the big one would involve Russell Westbrook, right? And I think that whomever comes back in that would be significant in terms of salary. They'd have to be. And ideally, these are good players on that type of salary, right? There are also a couple of smaller deals for 8 to $10 million type of guys, maybe for a second or two, that give you just another option off the bench who would be helpful. This is like this is kind of how I envision the, the shooter, right? That there is a version where it's a rust trade and that guy comes back and this is a bigger name player, but there's a smaller version where, you know, smaller pieces get traded. And this guy is just like, Hey, that's a solid dude in the league. You know, that's a 10th man, ninth man caliber player. Now, are we good enough talent wise after a a trade like that? That's my big question is like, I think conceptually it works. I just don't know if our players are quite good enough at the other side of that. And so Either way, though, I do I do think that a, a trade is necessary. Yeah, I think one more shakeup of the roster is is worth it. It's just worth it. I also think that there are just logistical things that need to be worked out when you talk about how much expiring salary the Lakers have on their books and mm-hmm. how much the players who are going to be on the roster next season make. And how that impacts your salary cap sheet and mm-hmm. and your free agency, right? And 
So one of the points that I think is important to make, and you made this a while back, but we should keep bring, bringing it up be, well, because it's important, is that I'm totally on board with the idea that the Lakers may end up having to trade for their next star player. Mm-hmm. I, but in order to be able to trade for a star player, you have to have the salary in order to make a trade. And yep. there is no go into free agency with all of your draft picks in hand and still be able to go make a trade. And that's the tricky mm-hmm. part that the Lakers are in is that the odds of them being able to make a, a large trade right now where they aggregate more contracts back that are in that range of eight to $25 million, which is what you, you need two or three of those contracts combined in order to trade for a super duper star player. The odds of you being able to get that player now via a trade while not giving up any sort of draft capital that you need in order to then facilitate that future trade where you also where you then have all of the salary that you need that is not locked up in bad basketball players, right? Where you're just like, okay, well, I'm trading my bad salary for more bad salary. No one wants bad salary. So you need a certain amount of like good salary locked up in good basketball players, but not like, oh, those guys can't be so overpaid that they become a bad asset. And then you need all of your draft picks. And it's just like, well, the Lakers are fortunate enough to have won an NBA championship by making that sort of trade already when they acquired yep. Anthony Davis. And so now they are a little asset poor, right? They'll have draft picks and other things that they can use, but the structured nature of the trades they made before limit their ability to trade assets now. And so I, it's, it's like a tricky thing to me. And it's one of the reasons why, again, I want to see a trade made simply because you can't go into the offseason with $70 million in expiring money only to turn that around to $20 million in salary cap space mm-hmm. and say like, oh, yeah, I'm going to build next year's team next year. I think they need to build part of next year's team this year and yes going into the trade deadline this next six days i think is super important from that standpoint and i'm going to hammer that point for six for six more days no maybe longer even no as you should because that like when you really look into the numbers and you play out step by step you know you really quickly get to that point d where you're like oh lakers need to if they make a deal at the deadline it's actually for this year and next year and so uh very curious what direction we end up going in. Uh, exciting times in Lakerland. Got the game against the Pelicans tomorrow to uh, clo- close out the road trip, who lost their 10th consecutive game last night, uh, despite a, a furious comeback. So, you know, they're going to have some smoke for us with AD coming into town and all of that. Like their win streak is kind of irrelevant to me. Uh, and and we got we to gotta go hard tomorrow. So we will be back on Monday to discuss how that goes. But until then. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. 
Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Missing. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.